Good morning to y'all. If you would turn, please, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to go through verses 13 through 17 today. Let's continue to be in prayer for Dennis. I know he'd love to be here. Just having another flare-up today, and I'm sure he'd like to be done with all that. So let's remember him as we pray. And uh, let's get into verses 13 through 17 as we consider uh, remaining steadfast in the things of the Lord, not being distracted by what comes our way, by what the world would distract us with, and uh, pull us away from the things of God. Let's go ahead and read the text, and then we'll open in a word of prayer. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, Lord. And uh, we're so grateful to see in, in contrast to the terrible things mentioned in previous verses that we have and can have such a hope in Jesus Christ and we can become the beloved uh, of the Father through faith in the Son. We're grateful for that reality. Help us to draw out now and apply these things. We thank Lord of Dennis today and we ask that you'd be with him and Mrs. Bullock as they uh, are staying at home for Dennis's health. We pray that you'd heal him and give him some relief, Lord, of the, the swelling. We thank you for your goodness and their faithfulness to you and we pray that you would guide and direct in the live stream today and that you would bless that and enable it to function as it should we pray in Jesus name amen all right uh, first of all we see Paul's thanks to God if you're following the outline that's in your book I've posted the outline for you here but uh, again our main thought today as we go through these texts these verses is don't be distracted don't be pulled aside one way or the other as we go through the Christian life, as we consider the terrible things that we read about concerning the damnation of the lost uh, mentioned in previous verses, we have a hope in Christ. So first of all, we see reasons for thanksgiving. God's love is the first reason. Look at there in verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks all the way to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Uh, the believer is the beloved of God, not because of something good inside of myself or something good inside of you, contrary to what the world would say. Of course, the world would tell us that within every person, there is a measure of human goodness. There is a measure of what they would call divine light, or they may call it yin versus yang. There's that struggle of darkness and light that's inside of you. Well, the Bible tells us all of us are born in absolute and total darkness, that uh, he that remaineth, uh, wandereth out of the way of understanding, shall remain in the congregation of the dead. You didn't have to do anything to get there. You were born there in the congregation of the dead. And so the only reason I am a beloved of God is because that through faith in Christ, I am in Christ, and therefore I am God's beloved. Because when God looks at me, he sees the blood of his son covering my sins, and he has adopted me through faith in Christ in the family of God. And what a blessed truth that is, and as we'll see in a moment, that is um, open to anyone. This title stands in direct contrast to the damned just mentioned. In fact, as you go through these verses that we're looking at, you can see a lot of contrasts. Okay, what we read about, the terrible things we just read about in one verse, now we see the antithesis of that in the believer. 
Uh, we read about those who believe not the truth and those who are damned in verse 12. And on the contrary side of that, we see those who are beloved of God through faith in Christ. So stand fast because uh, we have reasons to be thankful. We are God's beloved and that can't be lost. Now, I don't, I don't know what your student book said. Um, I don't have one at home. I had the teacher's guide. At this point in time, the teacher's guide went ballistically Calvinistic. I mean, just ballistically Calvinistic. And uh, they said that the spirit makes you get saved. That was almost the direct wording. The spirit chooses you and gives you salvation or imparts to you faith and makes you believe. Uh, that's nowhere in the text, and we're going to see that here going to see just examine so put all those Calvinistic ideas aside we've talked about Calvinism quite a bit I don't want to beat a dead horse but uh, if your guide talked to you about being chosen in fact they inserted a, an interesting conjunct or a preposition there and they said God chose the Thessalonians for salvation well that's not what it says here and uh, you know I do believe we can we can get into a semantics battle and we can fight about that all we want but you do have to be careful about the wording God chose these people to salvation as we're going to find here in a minute anyone can join that choosing there's uh there's two means here by which that happens and god lists those out notice here he didn't say the spirit makes us believe okay he doesn't say that in verse 13 he doesn't say that the spirit gave us faith to believe he doesn't say that okay he says that god hath from the beginning chosen you okay so from the beginning, and we could examine other passages before the foundation of the world, God knew that I would sin and God knew that you would sin. God knew that mankind would not maintain his innocence. Okay? When he was created, he was innocent. He, God knew that would not continue. That's God's foreknowledge. And so God knew from the beginning, before the foundation of the world, that when he made the world, he would also... Uh, choose to make a way of salvation for when man fell, man could be redeemed. You say, well, why would you? I don't know. He's God, right? God's foreknowledge is an amazing thing. And you can't get wrapped around the actual on that or try to figure that out because our understanding is infinite. And we're not all wise. The Bible does tell us that Christ, before the foundation of the world, was um, chosen for these things to redeem us and to be our Savior. So I'm, we don't have to get hung around the axle when God says here, uh, from the beginning hath chosen you to salvation. From the beginning, God planned on making a way of escape for mankind. Now this idea, of course, chosen is to be preferred or a chosen vessel. And uh, anyone in Christ is a chosen vessel. You say, well, I want to be God's chosen vessel. I want to be God's chosen child. Okay, not a problem. All you have to do is turn from sin unto Christ. And you can join that family of God and become a chosen vessel. Nowhere in the scriptures do you find Paul in his witnessing to Gentile nations and, and anywhere in Peter's writings where he is witnessing and presenting the plan of salvation. Nowhere do you ever, in, in, in the ministry of Christ, nowhere do you ever find where God withholds from folks salvation and says, I have chosen for you not to believe. Therefore, I'm not going to give you the gospel where I'm going to give you the gospel, but I'm not going to allow you to believe it. Nowhere do you find that. So if you want to become God's chosen child, it's not a problem. It's open to everyone. You simply exercise faith in Christ. So then we see the means next by which this uh, choosing takes place. So God has chosen the Thessalonians and any believer to salvation. Okay, 
That's what God chooses. When he allows a way for escape through Christ, that escape ends in salvation. That's the goal. And here's the means by which that takes place. Through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Now that phrase in itself might be confusing if we didn't have some other passages. So while I'm running my face up here, please turn to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Okay. We're going to put some things together. Ephesians 1 13. So when I exercise faith in Christ, okay, it doesn't say that God chose me for salvation uh, and I couldn't do anything about it. It says he chose me to salvation and here's the means by which I can access that choosing. Belief of the truth. Now that stands in direct contrast to verse 12 where it tells us that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now I'd like to point this out right here. What is missing there in verse 12 when God says that people who don't receive the truth are damned? They're not damned because it doesn't say there that they're damned because God chose for them not to believe. It doesn't say that, right? It doesn't say there that they're damned because God did not choose them for salvation. It simply says they're damned because they received not the love of the truth. It was their choice to reject the gospel. Therefore, God sent them greater darkness. And perhaps they got to the point there we see there in, in the previous verses where they couldn't believe. They were under strong delusion that they might believe a lie. Why? Because initially they rejected truth. But they didn't get there because God said, well, it stinks to be you. I've chosen you to, to, to go to hell from the foundation of the world. It doesn't say that. So. They get wrapped in the, in the teacher's guide and in your book. They get a little wrapped around the axle about the spirit, the sanctification of the spirit. And they say, well, the spirit here, because that's put first, makes a person believe. And that's why the faith comes second. Well, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. All right. It says there, in whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the, uh, received the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Then what does it say? Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit promise. And so the moment a person trusts in Christ as their Savior, the moment they decide, yep, God's right, I'm a sinner, I'm on my way to hell, and they, in their heart, turn from sin to Christ, the Spirit of God then seals them, moves in, takes up residence in our soul, and takes us out of the family of Satan and puts us into the family of God. And that's what the idea here is through sanctification of the Spirit. When a person chooses to trust Christ, the Spirit of God in moving into that person, sets them apart. That's what, it, that's what sanctify means. Sets them apart, makes holy, puts a difference between them and the person of the world who has chosen not to trust in Christ. Okay. That's all that means. And so they went on, and three-quarters of the lesson, honestly, was this idea of choosing an election and being made to believe and being forced to believe, and it was uh, quite gutsy. Anyway, so... Um, why should we maintain a steady course for the Lord? Well, not for salvation, but because of salvation. Don't get distracted, because we are part of this, uh, these chosen vessels of God that we've gained this choosing, we've accessed this choosing through faith in Christ, and it is a precious thing, and it can never be taken away. And so remember, because we are sanctified by the Spirit, set apart by God as his child through faith in Christ, we have a responsibility to be steadfast and to continue in the things that please God and that honor him. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 would also talk about how the Spirit sanctifies us. And uh, the word there is literally, I believe, baptizes us into the family of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. This is not talking about physical water baptism. I've heard people present it that way. This is talking about a spiritual baptizing of uh, when God takes me out of the children of uh, Satan and puts me into the family of God. Same concepts are uh, taught in the, uh, the book of Romans as well. But he says, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made, all been made to drink into one spirit. Praise God for that. Now we're one local assembly here in Oregon, but there are many, many local assemblies all over this world of which we are a part in spirit. We've all been baptized into that family of God. And I understand you can take this too far and you can get into the Catholic universal church and all that, but I don't believe that it's just me and my little local church and that's it. This is a manifestation of a bigger reality. Yes, we're to gather together locally. Yes, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Yes, we're to be autonomous. Yes, all these things are true, but we are part of a greater, larger assembly. What about the poor guy in uh, Iran that believes in Christ, never gets to enter a local church, and gets hanged for his faith? That's happened. It happens daily. Is he just somehow not part of the body of Christ because he was never able to join a local assembly? There are people that teach that. Let us not fall into that, uh, that uh, trap. So we're baptized by one spirit, brought into the family of God. We're chosen vessels, not because of anything we are or because God just somehow chose to save us from eternity, but we're chosen vessels because of faith in Jesus Christ. Christ does the work and offers this salvation to all. Uh, let us stand fast because of God's call. Let us be grateful and stand fast because of God's call. Look at verse uh, 14. I'm all out of, lost my place here. Second Thessalonians. Over here in Second Timothy. There we go. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this calling is something else that we can get, uh, that we can end up getting out in left field in if we're not careful. How does God call men today? How does God call women, boys, girls? people of all walks of life. What is God's call? What is he using to call folks? The gospel. He's using to call people to the gospel. And, um, you know, even creation and conscience are goads and spurs toward the gospel. They can't save you. Right? Creation can't save you. It's not the gospel plan, but it is evidence of a creative power that should drive us to ask further questions and seek more light. And the soul that seeks more light, God never says, no, I'm not going to give you anymore. He sends more light. And eventually, of course, people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. But uh, God is calling by his gospel. This is not some mystical calling where God just speaks to me because somehow he's chosen me to be saved above anyone else. This is the idea of God calling people through the gospel, inviting people through the gospel. Like uh, Jesus presented in the parable. Go into the hedge, and the hedge, the byways and the, the highways and, and bring them out and bring them into my house and give them a wedding garment that my house may be filled. That's a picture of Christ calling people to salvation, wanting his kingdom to be filled uh, by people accepting the gift of the gospel. And so it's a thing to be uh, grateful for. This invitation can be rejected. Look at verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish... 
because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And so this call can be rejected. This is not some call that is somehow irresistible and uh, something that you uh, can't fight against. No, you have a choice, you have free will, and God can uh, present this call, but it's something that can be denied and rejected. So let us stand fast and be thankful and continue in the things of the Lord because of God's love, because of God's choosing, because of God's call, and lastly, because of God's goals for us. Look at the end of verse 14. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you and I, as his children, to be a part of the same glory that Christ has. That's an amazing thought. That's an amazing thought. And so as the world would present us with its attractions and its allurements and the things that it can offer, we ought to keep in our mind and keep a clear picture of the fact that none of that can compare to the glory that awaits us in Christ. The kingdom that's coming, uh, peace on earth, real, actual peace because of godliness and truth reigning, uh, the eternal state where we'll live in, new, in the new Jerusalem with Jesus Christ forever. And this is the glory that God wants to share with us. Now, God is, uh, God is incredibly good. And sometimes we compare him to... Uh, ourselves and how we would do something and that's a bad idea or sometimes we compare him to the with the inadequacies of a father or a mother and we think that God acts that way God doesn't act that way God is absolutely holy and absolutely just it's funny I work with an individual who uh, his dad was a little rough growing up and um, this guy will talk about God just like he describes his dad to me. Like, it's exactly the same. He doesn't even know he's doing it. Right? The things he'll tell me his dad said or did, you know, just little sadistic things here or things like he just let him go on and on and on and something that was wrong until he fell flat in his face and then it was like, I told you so, son. You know, kick him a few times. And he'll talk like that's, like God will do that to him. And I uh, see, so we can get a warped picture of God by comparing him to authority figures, uh, sinful authority figures in our life. And authority is good. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but remember, God is not like you and I. And uh, he wants us to have the glory that our Savior has and to share that same glory. This is another reason why you and I, in verse 14, would believe in eternal security. Now, the goal is that God would give us, at the end, the glory that our Savior has. Okay? Not that we're above him or equal to him. He's, he's above all. But they we're going to share in that glory. Well, that's, a, that's something that can't be taken away. That's something to which we're headed. So let's stand fast. Let's continue on in the things of the Lord. Let's uh, revel in thanksgiving and in gratitude because of at least these four things. And then we see the responsibility from thanksgiving. I'll give you the next slide up here. And we see Paul's prayer, the direction, the desire. Look at verse 13, or 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. And this is the idea of continue doing something that you are doing. Boy, I want that to be able to, to be said of me. Uh, the tense of this command in the Greek New Testament is the idea of continue to do something that you are currently doing. And when God examines Chris Bickish's life, that's what I want to be, that I want him to be able to say that. 
continue doing, Chris, what you're currently doing. Not start doing something you're not doing. Okay? Not, and if you're there, by all means, you know, let's, let's get it right. It's not too late. But I really would, the goal is to continue doing something that you are doing. Are you being faithful for the Lord? Continue doing just that. And uh, if we are not, let's change our ways today and get back to the things of Christ and of the Bible. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught. Oh, there's a word we could really mess up if we're not careful. When you hear the word tradition today, what do you think of? Throw some things at you. What do you think of? Habits. Some habits. Yep. You might think of some Hallmark film and just cutesy yeah. traditions of Christmas. We always eat this or we always have a snowball fight. We always drink hot chocolate. What are some other things you think of? Traditions. Catholic Church, maybe some other cult. Um, I tend, my mind tends to instantly wander to the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus' day and the traditions that they had. Traditions aren't necessarily a bad thing. And in this context, Paul is not talking about, I want you to stick to the traditions that some random Joe has taught you. He says, I want you to stick to the traditions that Jesus Christ has taught you through me whether by word or our epistle. Remember that when he was writing these things, the canon of scripture was not complete, right? There, were, there was the Old uh, Testament law that perhaps many of them had access to. There were a few epistles roaming around. But much of what they were taught was by word of mouth through the apostles and through those that uh, were discipled by them. So the complete canon had not been created. So Paul's not saying, look, I want you to be faithful to whatever... Anyone decides to tell you. And uh, there's some of that floating around in our circles today. And we have to be very careful of that. There are things being passed off as gospel truth. And when you step back and ask yourself, why do we do this? Or where did that come from? Sometimes it doesn't have a biblical foundation. We have to be careful about those things. But if it can be found in the scripture by command, by principle, then uh, we ought to hold those traditions and uphold the things that were being taught by others if they have a biblical foundation. Now, if you have been exposed to, say, like traditions of the Pharisees and scribes, what did Jesus say about those traditions? He said, you have made the commandment of God of none effect by your traditions, right? And so those things should be rejected. If we're being taught traditions or handed things down that are contrary to the scriptures, then by all means, put them aside. Sometimes that's easier said than done, especially if we're raised with something. We've been taught a certain thing all of our lives. We've been told something is, uh, is true. Um, this is just a small example, and perhaps not everyone has experienced this, but uh, it's almost a tradition to allegorize the last portion there of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I never really understood why that is. But uh, numerous, numerous commentaries that you read will, like the golden bowl being broken and the silver cord being broken, all that, and they'll compare those things with old age and it's like, where do y'all get this? Whatever happened to, liter um, to uh, literal translation and literal interpretation? And there are just certain things that were handed down. We need to just stand back and say, why do we do that? Why do we do that? I know um, living in the South and, uh, and uh, coming from there, there's a lot of um, traditions about, uh, I mean, they're just so numerous. Things like, uh, I mean, tent meetings are a big deal down there. Tent meetings. No, you don't have to get saved under a tent. In fact, a lot, 
a lot of what happens at a tent meeting is just carnal, emotional trash. Yes, I said it. No offense uh, intended, but if it's taken, so be it. It's carnal, emotional trash. There was a um, tradition. <laughs> there was, uh, there's like these man-made revivals where we just want something to happen, so we're going to go out and we're going to make it happen. There was this thing called the Bremerton, uh, not Bremerton, Burlington Revival when I was there in Bible College up in Burlington, North Carolina. And every, it was just the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you needed to go visit this. And um, So I, I, I was instantly... Um, made it, uh, I was instantly a little nervous about it just because it was being hyped up so much and did a little research online and man the music was terrible the music was just worldly it was just emotion driven uh, everyone was just worked up into a frenzy you know what the end result of that was and maybe there were some people saved you know because God is gracious and despite our stupidity people get saved in spite of the fact that we're stupid <laughs> right and I'm grateful for that but that does, don't ever think that means that God approves of something. Anyway, it came to the point where people were stopping at that location and howling at the moon. Let me ask you something. Does that reflect Christ-honoring behavior? You know, even if you were like, oh, well, I don't really have a problem with the music. I did, but if you didn't, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you got to admit there's something wrong with the end result of all that. Okay. So there's a lot of traditions out there. Boy, you've got to be careful. And, uh, but if it's coming from a solid principle or commandment of the word, then by all means, hold on to that and pass that along. Pass that along so our kids can have a, a solid foundation to fight the battles that uh, come their way. Paul says, whether it's by word or our epistle or by our letter, either or, we now have the complete canon. Okay, so the, the principle of what Paul's saying is true. The actual reality has changed a little bit. We're not now, no longer we... Uh, dealing with just word of mouth, we are now dealing with a complete canon of Scripture. Praise God for that. Someone who doesn't have a translation might be able to better identify with what's being said here, where they have to go by word of mouth and trust the mission.